Hello, and welcome back once again to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, my guest is Red Staffstrom. Red is an introvert. He is the founder of Broken Salespeople, a podcast and a content creator. And what we're going to be looking at today is introverted salespeople. They're out there, and some of them are quite fantastic. One of the challenges that they face is being misunderstood. Society tends to focus and favor extroverts, and extroverts tend to try and take the limelight. So we don't really understand introversion. So we're going to explore what is an introvert. We're going to explore some of the myths and misunderstandings. You know, introverts aren't socially inept across the board, just in certain circumstances, like I think we all are. They recharge their batteries differently. So you know, th this is really the trying to find out what we have in common, extroverts and introverts and ambiverts. Well, we're going to look at the kind of physiological uh, responses that extroverts create in introverts when you're selling or, for example, you might be trying to put pressure on a peer to do something. So we're going to explore some parallels between tactics that are used by the police, for example, that create a freeze, flight, or fight response. And it's a very similar tactic that we get with closing and leading questions. So we're going to dig into some really fascinating stuff today. So buckle up. Red, welcome. Hey, Marcus. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. It's a pleasure. You sound remarkably upbeat for an introvert. <laughs> well, it's something that I've learned how to become, quite frankly. I've always been, it's kind of like turning on a stage personality, but not quite the same. This is who I am, but I can't always be this person the same way you can't always be your a father. You can't always be a coworker. You can't always be a boss. We each have these different roles that we have to fit into. This is really interesting because I'm just going through a training program myself for our ecosystem to get to understand how to build an organizational structure and team that has values that are aligned, but they need to be different and differently evolved. So as you progress through the different levels of understanding or evolution, you can use any of the skills and systems that you've already acquired, but you can't use the ones that you're not aware of yet. And so it's interesting because I see a very close parallel here with what you said, which is that in every organization, you need people who are team players and tribal. You need people who are forces of nature with drive and ambition and a competitive streak. You need people who have structure and are rules orientated. Otherwise, you're never going to grow far and fast. You then need people who are focused on profit and growth and success. And you need people who can bring order among that chaos and uh, create uh, social bonds. But if you have any one of those too strong, it then tends to create the conditions for its own downfall and replacement by the next evolutionary level. Um, so this is really interesting. So we'll dig into this later, but yeah. um, sorry, I interrupted. You just sent me down a rabbit hole. <laughs> well, and, and me and you are definitely going to go down them because that's another one of those character traits that introverts go into more is we like that introversion, that dive into different concepts, different ideas. We love that kind of thing. We don't want to just make small talk. We want to have these deep conversations. It's not that we don't want people around. We just don't want to say, did you catch the game last night? What do you think about the weather? That's not what we want. Like, that's what drains us. That's, that is wrist-slitting conversation. I always have maintained I am an introvert. Everyone tells me no. But the reality is I hate social gatherings. I'm not good in a crowd. My idea of hell is a big stadium full of people, a party uh, where I have to do social chat and talk about me. And that's one of the things that's interesting about me as an introvert. So 
I am very good at these one-on-one conversations because we can talk about ideas. We can talk about concepts. Likewise, I'm good at talking to a stage, talking to an audience, because I'm able to dictate the terms of the conversation. I'm able to talk about ideas, talk about concepts. Loving that game. Stage. Yeah, <laughs> but when I'm in that group of four or five people, that's when introverts really suffer. And you have to figure out that game of double dutch on when do you jump into the conversation. Like, I've just got an image of you skipping. Well, I, I looked adorable and I know it. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's where we have the biggest problem is when you're in that group setting, in order to appeal to everybody in the group, the topic has to be vanilla. And nobody says vanilla is their favorite ice cream flavor. They all like Rocky Road. They all like watermelon sherbet. They all like whatever else. But in order to appeal to everybody in that group, it turns into, so what do you think about the weather? That's what drains us more than anything else. It's interesting because I just don't know how to do that social stuff without drying up because it doesn't, I can't believe that it interests anybody. Well, I actually had to learn it. Sorry? I had to study. I had to learn it. I had to learn and study techniques on how to make small talk. Yeah. Yes. But, but it, again, like, that that jars with me. It does. You're dead for a fucking long time. Mm-hmm. Like, forever is a very, 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 very long time. And uh, depressingly, not only have I turned into my father, but my mother was right that time just gets faster and faster conceptually or perceptually. And given that you're dead for a bloody long time and you have such a short time on this planet, why would you squander a second of it talking that complete horseshit? One of my favorite Mark Twain quotes, and I'm an atheist, I'll admit to that right off the bat, but One of my favorite Mark Twain quotes is you go to heaven for the climate, hell for the company. (laughs) Yeah, I've always maintained that uh, there's a a warm place set aside for me. (laughs) But okay, so tell me this, what is an extrovert? Let's kick off with that. The better way to explain the two is thinking about the way that a person has to recharge their batteries. So Imagine you've had an absolutely horrible week, you're ground down to nothing, and it's Friday night, and you need to just zone out. What are you going to do? Me and you as introverts, we're going to go home, we're going to read a book, we're going to turn off, watch TV, just be alone for a little while. Veg out. Exactly. But an extrovert is going to go out and want to hang out with people. They want to go to the bar. They want to be in a social situation. They want to do something highly stimulating. That's where the difference is. And it becomes this spectrum is the best way to phrase it. So the way I try to explain it to so many people is imagine you're sitting at home and you're bored, you're understimulated. Uh, You try reading a book and you're out like you just feel antsy. So you call up a friend and you go and get coffee. Now you're comfortable. Now you have that nice conversation. You're at that right level of stimulus, but your friend is understimulated. So what she says is, hey, let's go to the bar. And now you're overwhelmed. Introvert versus extrovert depends on how much that spigot can be on in terms of how much stimulus a person can handle to the point that me and my wife listen to TV at different volumes. She's an extrovert and wants the TV louder because she feels understimulated. I want it nice and quiet and I want the room completely black. (laughs) But, But it's about controlling that level of stimulation that you're in. I said Dracula was an introvert, really. Well, I'm a ginger. We just don't do well in sunlight like if somebody leaves the microwave on i could get burnt was it i think one of my favorite comedians frankie boyle uh, has this wonderful sketch where uh, he's uh, talking about why the uh, british army recruits scots and then send them off to incredibly hot places um, because yeah, ginger, uh, uh, ginger hair and pale skin. Really yeah, it's like putting a yeah forty degrees. Yeah, no, this we should just be night troops. Like as long as there's not a full moon, because that could give us sunburn too. Um, <laughs> that, that's just okay. We're we're night troops, and that's it. Yeah. So, 
let, let, let's because that, that was really very, very insightful and interesting because from a management and a leadership perspective, your need to adjust your coaching style, your management style, the compensation, what you measure, how you recognize, how you reward, all of this. Well, I won't, I'll even go a step further. You have to reevaluate the way you design your offices. Think about how many open, like open floor, like open concept offices there are now. Now, to me, that's overwhelming because there's so many conversations going on at once and I'm just overstimulated and I'm distracted. And anytime somebody says something three or four cubicles down, like it's completely taken me out of my task. Right. So let me ask you this. Have you noticed anecdotally whether introverts have better peripheral hearing than extroverts? That I haven't noticed. I, I would love to see some kind of study. What it usually comes down more to than anything else is reaction. And there was actually studies. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is Quiet by Susan Cain. Yeah, brilliant book. And, love, love that book. Um, and she talks about the work of Jerome Kagan in that from Harvard. And how you could identify whether a baby is more likely to be introverted or extroverted as early as four months old. So at four months old, you can tell whether the child is going to be, Kagan calls it high reactive versus low reactive. And it's actually flipped the way most people would think about it. If you're an introvert, you're more likely to be a high reactive baby, meaning if there's loud noises, if there is loud stimulus, whatever, bright colors, flashing lights you're going to react because you're overstimulated. It's that quiet baby that tends to grow up to be the extrovert, surprisingly. Interesting. I yes. mean, loud noises are excruciatingly painful. You know, sirens yes. going by hurt. Yeah, but the high reactive babies, the babies who like can't take it, they're more likely to be introverts to the point where uh, a friend's son is like a highly sensitive and the tags on clothing just hurt him almost high sensitive. Yeah. And it's just the nature of it. So if you feel these things so much more acutely, you're not going to go out there and constantly have conversations in bars. So for anyone out in the audience, because Red, this would be an unfair question to ask you, for anyone out there, is there any correlation between introversion and synesthesia? Hmm. That I don't know. I, I haven't looked that, into that. If there that. is a heightened sensory awareness, to me, there, there sounds like there may be a correlation. Um, it, there very well could be. I just haven't seen a study on it. And I'm not somebody who's going to like just shoot off at the mouth and assume, but it's probably pretty safe to say. It's not something that I've... Like people have taken Jerome Kagan's work and furthered it into fMRIs and, and work like that. Kagan? K-A-G-A-N, I believe. I'm not, I had to cheat in spelling my whole life. I'll be completely honest. I, spelling was never my strong suit. In, in fairness, Kagan's not a word you'll come across often. And also when I was listening to Susan Cain's book, I was listening to it. I do yeah. audiobooks. So I, don't ask me to spell things. I don't, I don't <laughs> I, I, read. I, 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 forgive me. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, then let's let's have a quick dig into this idea that of kettling. You, you mentioned it uh, earlier on. So can you define what it is, first of all? So kettling is something that I came across um, during the Black Lives Matter protests. And being an introvert, I very often be up at two, three, four in the morning, digging into these obscure comfort, like obscure ideas. Right and I started home. looking into police <laughs> tactics, weirdly enough. Kettling happens with protests. And what the police will do in these instances is literally try and trap these protesters into smaller and smaller areas and then turn up the pressure and kind of close in the walls. And what inevitably happens in these situations is somebody gets claustrophobic, for lack of a better word, and reacts. And they have one of three responses, fight, flight, freeze. And that's so common in what you see with when you see a riot break out at a protest, it's usually because this has happened. 
Nobody yeah, you, you trigger the fight response. Exactly. Very few people go to a protest to actually start a fight. I'm not saying there aren't some of them, but most people go to actually protest the right way until they're given an excuse. Well, again, it's really interesting seeing how crowds react to emotion and how uh, malleable we are. I mean, you know, uh, as I look back in history, the Nuremberg uh, rallies. And you, you look at the masterful way that Hitler controlled the crowd. And he would just sit there or stand there in silence and just let the silence rest for minutes on end. The tension in those auditorium must have been incredible. Um, and then whisper, rising crescendo, and, you know, all, and the, the choreography of the whole thing. So again, as somebody who doesn't like crowds, so, you know, finds finds loud noises, and th- this kind of control of mass population very, very frightening, because it, it just seems that human beings appear to be far too malleable, and because we are pack animals, we seem to lose reason and lose control. And we need to develop that discipline within the sale. It's so important that you don't trigger freeze, flight, or fight, because the moment that occurs, you've just wasted both of your time, and the opportunity is probably gone. And let's talk about what like those three things are. So, fight is them just saying no and throwing out objections, whether they're true or not. Uh, flight is them just saying no and leaving, and then freeze is let me think about it. So how often do those three things happen to us? And it's because we triggered that emotional fight, flight, freeze within their amygdala. That's what we did. So the the first thing I always say you should be focusing on is creating comfort between you and your buyer, human to human. Can I even take that a step further? We talk about the emotion of like how emotional customers are, but we don't talk about how emotional salespeople are or Um, how emotional our organizations are. (laughs) Like we we talk about that and we're kettling our own employees with CRMs that are used as bludgeons or KPIs that make no sense. That's a really, really interesting perspective. But, but it's very easy to say the customer is emotional, but nobody says, like, you're a human being, you have emotions too. We always assume that us and our employees can be these automatons, and it's impossible. Interesting. Okay. Right. This is really very wonderful because I'm yeah. a very fresh perspective here. Um, okay. So... In terms of measurement, consequence, and recognition and reward, why is it that so many of the comp schemes just don't work for introverts? I don't think it's necessarily the comp schemes. I I think it is the process itself that's built the wrong way. So the way we train people overall is so much of it is based off of Dale Carnegie's early work. And he is pretty much the prototypical extrovert that hail fellow well met at the end of the bar. And we've designed so much of sales based on what these high function, like these high extroverts say. So these Zig Ziglar's, these Dale Carnegie's, these Ogmandinos, like all of these people who are these high extroverts, and we try to mimic their behavior rather than build it for introverts. Intro, like sales as a science is pretty much brand new. It wasn't really researched as a social science before Cialdini in the early 80s. So the science of selling and what actually works is only about as old as Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Aren't they in their 50s? Yeah, but well, only in their 50s, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just the 80s. It was just yesterday. Oh yeah, my bad. I, I know. I know. Well, they're, they're in their they're in their early 40s then. Yes. Um, oh my god, Donatello is 42. Um, wow. <laughs> it, what was I, it was 84. So I'm a, a nerd because I am. Okay, fair so. enough. 
Yeah, that, like that's I, I remember weird things like that. So, hmm. But it's not so much the compensation scheme. It's the make 90 phone calls a day. Why? But that's how many SDR roles are just make calls, make calls, make calls. I, I understand. But why, why are we not thinking more intelligently about the role? It's so hard. <laughs> it's so, it's that? such a tough job. Um, yeah. And we make it 99% certain that they will fail. Yeah. And, and that's why we lose SDRs. The average SDR only stays at a job for 18 months. And the average cost of hiring and training any employee is six months to two years of salary. Well, the, the research that <clears throat> Dr. Phil McGowan did for his um, PhD in selling, so he is the, doc, the doctor of sales, which is rather cool. But his research suggests that a salesperson hits their full stride <laughs> in their third year. Yeah. Why would you, why, 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 why do we create the conditions where turnover is expected typically after two years or within two years? Because again, we're coaching numbers, we're, co we're tr coaching logic and not emotions. And that's the issue is, okay, so we're not hitting, we're not hitting our numbers. So dial up the phone calls and go from 40 calls a day to 90 calls a day. And that should double sales. Hmm. It's just laziness and lack of creativity from a managerial perspective. If we think about what passes for great in sales at the moment, you and I both agree that it's not fit for purpose. No, it's a completely busted system. Okay. I mean, there's an element which is if you want to be transactional and you're okay having to start afresh a lot, you're okay doing a lot of work um, and that yeah. has its place. Like if you're selling cars or you're selling TVs at Best Buy, by all means, be transactional. But in complex B2B, like me and you tend to focus on, you can't do that. So if we were redesigning homunculus of uh, the ideal salesperson uh, from a blank sheet of paper, what would that look and sound like? You know, who, who no, I, it's always going to be completely different. Like, I'm currently writing a book on sales strategy and my very first chapter and intro is based on building Frankenstein's monster for sales and how it's built completely wrong that you're going to build this Don Draper, John Hamm intro person and it's just going to be somebody who's toxic. I'd love to see more female introverts in sales. Like, let's just go the polar opposite of what everybody assumes is good. Because A... The extrovert isn't working because the extrovert doesn't have the patience to dive into deep questions. The best way to look at introvert versus extrovert, everybody, like you can go back into the work of Piaget, everybody needs emotional connection with somebody else. But an extrovert gets it like a puddle. It's very spread out and it's very shallow. Mm -hmm. What an introvert needs is a well. We have two or three really close friends and that's all we need. Yep. So by having those introverts who are literally able to dive deep, that is a stronger prescription for sales, especially complex B2B, as opposed to somebody who just walks around shaking hands and kissing babies. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to disagree with you slightly. In Go for it. I've believe that the qualities that make a decent human being also make for a decent salesperson, a decent manager, a decent janitor, a decent leader, and a mm -hmm. decent bus driver. I, I, I actually um, agree on that one completely okay. too. So yes. What I'm looking for in salespeople is honesty. I, I need them to be rigorously authentic. They're, they're, yes. they're honest, they're transparent. They don't withhold information that is relevant to the decision in hand. They take personal responsibility. They are vulnerable. They show up, and the person who shows up is their authentic self. They are not trying to be somebody else. They are respectful. They are assertive. They know when to draw a line. They seek to help others achieve their objectives and they do so willingly they 
derived enormous satisfaction from other people's success and they don't carry envy. I mean, so, so uh, one of the things course. that I want to bring up that I feel like, and it ties in very closely to the introvert side. So I just finished rereading Gap Selling. And even though Keenan, as a person, I, I, I don't know, like I agree with his ideas, but he is a little loud for me. I'll be honest there. He brought up this idea in the last chapter of the biggest thing you should look for is curiosity. Somebody who is very focused on learning more about the customer and learning more about their trade and their profession. Honesty is something you need no matter what position you're hiring for. But sales in like in particular, you need that curiosity, that drive for knowledge, that desire to take things apart and put them back together again. Uh, absolutely. And you beat me to it because I was taking a very long way around to getting okay. I, I was I was burying the lead. And uh, you're absolutely right. You know, curiosity is key. Yeah. With that, one of the lessons that I learned in my Sander days was, you know, leave the child in the car. I disagree. I'd say take the child in, but make sure it's your natural child, not the adaptive one. And have the child there for it's a fantastic level of naive questioning. One of the things that I have noticed with extrovert sellers is they are more willing to ask seemingly dumb questions. I agree Um, with that. Yes. Because it's not about their ego. It's not, they they don't want the limelight. And because they don't want the limelight, um, they they don't make themselves the issue and get between the prospect and their decision to buy. So I remember when I worked at a car dealership years ago, the top salesperson at that dealership who'd been there forever was this guy, Ronnie. And Ronnie, I would not trust to cross the street. He was a complete moron to the point where he asked a somebody was sitting in the waiting room reading the Bible. And he's like, oh, what are you reading? How do you like it? <laughs> like, like when I heard that and I just started, I, I started dying laughing and walked away. Like, <laughs> but he was like in the waiting room, like reading the Bible and Ronnie just did that. Like, there is a certain no, no awareness. No, but like the ability to be likably ignorant or like affably ignorant in some cases it, it works for some salespeople. As long as you're playing within your your character type, it works. Yeah. So in designing the kind of role to appeal to great extrovert sellers. What do we need to do to make it fit naturally with them? Because I think that often, but building on what you said about you know, being based on extroverts, players like uh, Carnegie and uh, Mandini and so on, uh, Mandino, if you were designing uh, the copy uh, to attract really solid introverted salespeople, what, what would that sound like? What messaging would you need to focus on? I think it's the difference between hunters and farmers. So I think extroverts are very good with the hunting role, like go out and find appointments, the SDR kind of thing. The introverts tend to work better in the AE roles where they're diving deep into questions, um, nurturing relationships, asking for referrals. That's where I see introverts performing better than extroverts do because they're able to go into those well questions that we talked about before. So it's not necessarily like we need to rebuild everything. It's just find the skill set that your salespeople have and put them in this position where they're best able to use them. I'm I'm being purely selfish here. I have two vacancies I want to fill for senior enterprise AEs. And I want people who have curiosity. I want people who dig deep. Uh, but I'm looking for the language and I want to make sure that it appeals. And if anyone wouldn't uh, be able to advise me, it would be you. So when you're... Hmm. Let, let, let me tell you the role. Okay? Yes. So this is selling very strategic programs to transform the behavior of thousands of managers simultaneously. So these people need to be able to 
sell the idea of changing management behavior simultaneously at scale and to do so using a hybrid of online and human interaction in order to drive these really incredible results. A billion-dollar software company got a 426x return on investment on the first 32. They're now putting 500 through the, uh, the program. Now, when you think about it, on average, managers get 16 to 20 interruptions a day. Even if it's a third of those are teachable moments, with two managers, or with one manager, that's 1,440 a year. Yes. Now, if you turn that into, instead of not doing it, doing it and coaching in those moments, that's 1,440 times you don't have to teach that stuff again. Yeah. So you're recovering time. Yes. And you are also empowering people to solve their own problems. You're teaching them how to do it for themselves. That builds more engagement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So this is the role that we're trying to um, fill. But I was speaking to Sunil Kumar yesterday, and he was saying that there are about uh, eight vacancies for every candidate on LinkedIn for sales at the moment. There yeah. are 750,000 SDR jobs on LinkedIn. When I look at that, too, is because I've seen so many of those, and everybody's waiting for this unicorn candidate rather than train people. Like I remember listening to a recent episode of your podcast where 83% of managers say they coach, but only 17% of salespeople admit to being coached, like yeah. remember yeah. being coached. <laughs> so there's so few people who understand how to coach and train salespeople, like it rots from the head, that it becomes the issue where they're trying to hire these unicorns that just don't exist rather than building the salesperson who's going to be the right fit. Absolutely. I, I'm... I'm under no illusion that yeah. I'm getting, uh, going to hire the finished article. In fact, I yeah. don't want that. If I had the time, my ideal would be build one from scratch because then I don't have to unlearn years of baggage. But I'm, I'm interested in appealing to uh, somebody who is introverted yeah. uh, and will do the, uh, the deep well questioning, who has the structure... Yeah, I think the big thing to dive into is the problem solving, the creativity side of it. So that's where you really focus on, like, even though it's consultative and the program is relatively set, there are no two businesses that are going through the exact same problems all the no. time. But giving people the, letting people free their curiosity when they're speaking to a client is probably the best way to do it. And talking about that, complex problem solving, that puzzle mentality that, okay, let's build something together. The people who are like, I'm somebody who I re I fix my own cars. I do my own construction. I literally know how to take things apart and put them back together. And having that mentality of somebody who wants to see the way the gears intertwine in somebody's business, that's who you really want. And speaking to that problem solving, that curiosity, I think would do you really well. That is brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Enough free consulting. Cool. Okay. <laughs> um, no, that was really, really helpful because uh, actually that's the kind of job I would uh, apply for. Yeah. Um, but speaking but, to that, like it's not just dial for dollars. It, it's very much like your job is to sit down and dive into these complex ideas, these complex organizations. Like, I want somebody with business acumen as opposed to just sales strategy. You can teach sales strategy to a chimp. Yep. You can give anybody a word track or a script, but you need somebody who understands like, wait, if you're doing this, does that cause this? Like they need to be able to see that down the road. Ah, uh, right. So cause and effect. Yes. But when right. they see something like, okay, well, they look through their notes on the CRM and see that 80% of the notes are just left message on voicemail. And they realize there's no real sales data in that CRM. They know like, okay, so what is your, what are your managers actually doing? So would it be a fair assumption that an introvert is more likely to enjoy going down a rabbit hole? 
I wholeheartedly believe that because I'm an introvert. I'm a full-blown hide-in-the-basement introvert. And that's what I do. I have gone down the lore of all sorts of different things to the point where I did an obscure video on like Star Wars for May the 4th. <laughs> like talking about like Ahsoka Tano and literally the qualifications of becoming a Jedi master. Like that was in the video. And that's because those are the kinds of rabbit holes I go down. Fair enough. Okay. For, for me, that's like going down the weather routine, but fair, fair dues. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's all like the ability and desire to really take something apart and know all the intricacies within it. That's what you're looking for in a great salesperson, whether they're an introvert or an extrovert, that's what you want. But I think introverts are better at really wanting to know those deep questions, to be able to talk about the ideas, the concepts, rather than the, so how's your son doing? Got it. Okay. Yeah. That's where I think introverts shine over extroverts. So this year I've worked with quite a few extroverts, egotists, whatever. <laughs> and it's been very, very interesting, but it, it does great. I mean, it, it literally, it's painful. And trying to help them understand the impact they have on others around them is really, really difficult because it just doesn't seem to compute as even remotely important, doesn't come on their radar. Have you ever been able to uh, help someone who's that far on that end of the spectrum to become more self-aware. I'm a big believer in rock bottom, period. Mm. Like I, I'm a big believer in nobody changes until they're forced to in some way. I would love to be able to say to them like, oh, well, stop being so narcissistic. You're driving away people. I recently left a job with a very narcissistic person and once I called it out, like literally I left and so did 50% of his workforce. Maybe he'll start exploring it now, but I still don't know if he will. Um, without some kind of consequence, I'm. this might be where I'm a little more cynical. <laughs> mm. and, and I'm willing to admit that cynicism very openly, but I don't think people change with words. I think people change with consequences. I think you're right. But the trainer in me sees every failed attempt as a teaching disability, not a learning disability. Yes. Um, so it's incumbent on me as a trainer, a manager, a coach to work out how to fix it. So if there are ways and, and you know, if, there, if there are people out there, apart from ha making these uh, people suffer, because I think you know, that's what consequences uh, we're really talking about. Yes. Uh, I, I don't think I ever really learned anything meaningful except from a damn good beating. Yeah. And I think that's the way most of us learn. My, my thought process right now in terms of narcissists, egotists, like my mind is going to, I'll just say selected politicians and, and I'll kind of leave it at that. I don't see them learning anytime soon, it, regardless of the beatings. No, that's true. Yeah. Like, it it, regardless, there, I don't see a message where, even with the consequence of they, they've faced, they're just unwilling to adapt and change. I'm thinking of a few in the UK as well, too. And, yeah, and that's also a side part to politicians. Like, I think in order to there's a detriment of seeking office that if you're stupid enough to want the job, you're probably not qualified for it. <laughs> if you knew yeah, what the job was, you shouldn't want it. Get it. Yeah. It's dangerous to give power to people who want it. Because they really want it to serve the public good. Okay. So, I, I would love for there to be a teachable moment. I'd love for there to be some Jedi mind trick that I could pull on them because I would use it constantly but you need to be able to show them where they're hurting themselves. I agree. What, what I'm conscious of is I'm trying to include rather than exclude. And I'm yes. trying to find what we have in common rather than what we have in difference. So let's explore that first of all. What is it that introverts and extroverts share in common? What's the common ground, the bridge building material? Well, again, all people, regardless of who they are, they need that emotional connection. 
It's just the way that they need it or how they go about getting it is the question. No matter what, we need to be understood. We are still pack animals. Like we need to feel seen. We need somebody who is empathetic to our problems. When you were talked about leaving the child in the car, I don't understand why we do that in sales because everything in sales is about solving problems and solving emotional difficulties. And we're missing a massive training opportunity by not talking about our own difficulties in the workplace. The whole point of what we're trying to do with salespeople is to be able to understand and address and fix the pain that our clients are going through. And we're just shut off automatons within the office. I think there's a really interesting and very important point here, which is that as you grow and you evolve, you become more of who you could be. You have the capacity to work on all the skills and capabilities that you learned before. But because you don't have those at the moment, then the next level up, you don't know about that stuff. That's just down to ignorance. It's lack of awareness. When you become aware of that, um, then you can start to develop. And I think one of the big challenges here is that far too few of us are really taking, paying attention to our own development needs and making conscious effort to grow. And the net result of that is that we don't have the resources that we need when times are really tough. And again, coming back to the freeze, flight or fight, the market that we're selling into at the moment is incredibly volatile. The yeah. levels of uncertainty have never been so great. The levels of complexity in organizations, you know, supply chains, the uh, alliances and partnerships, the factions within organizations. You know, you've got to be able to navigate all of this. And there's the ambiguity that comes with it. And then you've got this backdrop of, you know, in Q1 alone, we had World War III just you know, appearing from the dead. Yeah. We've got um, the hangover from the pandemic. We've got interest rate rises. We've got inflation. We've got supply chain problems. Uh, we've got uh, recruitment problems, retention problems. Customers uh, are uh, you know, building uh, all sorts of walls uh, in many industries. Others, they're buying like crazy. But people have been deluded into thinking that it was actually because they grew their market share. They didn't. They no. What happened was their market expanded to appreciate their message. Now it's contracting away from that message and they haven't adapted. It's where this emotional intelligence comes in because there's so much chaos going in and our ability to understand and problem solve for them and figure out what's really going on. Like this is where salespeople should shine. But we're still seen as these Willie Loman characters. Okay. Tell me this in your mind what is the job of a seller? The job of a sale, well, it always depends on what you're selling. Like, again, you're selling TVs at Best Buy or Walmart or whatever. Like, your job is just to give away the commodity at the price. Those are sellers in the very loosest terms. For what we talk about is complex B2B. It's to really understand a business, um, to understand every part of it, the way it's built, the way everything intertwines, and then to be able to provide a solution. If you cannot provide a, like understand a problem and provide a solution, you have no right to a sale. Again, just listen to the syntax. You have to understand the problem. Yes. And then offer a solution. And, and, and that's where the introversion thing comes in, because if you're not willing to understand the problem and you're just going to jump into your pitch, you have no right to the sale. You have to understand the problem and offer a solution. If you cannot do both, don't even ask for the sale. You don't deserve it. I often feel like this a slightly crazy drunk uncle in the corner, sort of shouting to myself mainly, because it seems that there are so many glaringly obvious myths, anomalies, disasters, um, you know, the unintended negative consequences repeatedly being plied and um, you know, managers who know better being promoted and being complicit in letting this carry on. What well, well, there's a huge problem just with the way we promote sales managers to begin with too. Knowing how to play doesn't mean you know how to coach. Isaiah Thomas, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Jordan, they were all miserable coaches, even though they're 
some of the best of all times. Yeah. Yeah. But just because, and I'm actually working with some teaching experts to be able to create some content specific for managers so I can teach them how to teach. But just because you were a great player doesn't mean you're going to be a great coach. It means almost nothing. And that's kind of where we kind of double back to the Dale Carnegie's of the world. Dale Carnegie was one of the best players of all time. And so when he started trying to coach people, it didn't work the same way because he didn't totally understand everything. He didn't do millions and millions of cold call studies the way like a Neil Rackham or a Robert Cialdini did. It's interesting because I, I think very often the introverts are at the sharp end of the spear in terms of innovation. And then other people get the credit. I was watching something. So my daughter is about to turn two and she was diagnosed with autism back in December. So I'm learning as much about autism as I can. And one of the questions that was asked, and it was like a one question autism test, is what is more important, creativity or cooperation? And that really dives into introversion versus extroversion. Introverts love that creativity. They love that creative process. Extroverts love that cooperation, but you need both. You need that person in the corner factioning and like fashioning the perfect spearhead, and you need the people working together to use them the right way. So, so really, I think, what we need are ambiverts or just pair well, them up. My, my, yeah, my, pal exactly. Lem- my pal Jerry Lemberg back in the 1970s, he, he died a few years ago, sadly. He set up a real estate business in the States. And he hired a team of Hasidic Jehovah's Witnesses to get the listings. And a team of Hasidic Jews paired up with the Jehovah's Witnesses to do the closing. And uh, he, uh, he sold out for about 50 million. So it was a, a very good business. That's just a walking, a, a priest and a rabbi walk into a bar joke. <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah. I totally understand that. Like, you, you need the Jehovah's Witnesses to hunt and get appointments. And then you need the introverts. You need the people to farm and build the relationships and close, for lack of a better term. Uh, even though I hate the term close in general, because that's a whole nother diatribe that we could go down is how closing well, is such a toxic thing. Because, uh, again, I have this real issue with the Alec Baldwin always be closing. Um, yeah. I, I think always be contracting. You know, always get little agreement, little agreement, little agreement. Get yes. hundreds, thousands of agreements. Yeah. Not even agreements. You need just understanding, understand, like builds. I want to find a different word for understanding, but that's really the best one that I well, have. I, I, what, what you're doing as you go, if you are getting little agreement and developing yes. understanding and mutual understanding of the problem, is you're co-developing the solution. Their fingerprints yes. are all over it. You are the guide in this process because you should never, ever be the hero, which again no. is another challenge that extroverts struggle with because they want the limelight. Yes, and you, your job is not to be Luke Skywalker. Your job is to be Obi-Wan. Your, your job is to give them the lightsaber. You're, yeah. you're there to sell them the tool that will help them accomplish their goals of taking down the Death Star. That's who you have to be. But with that said, like, just because you need agreements doesn't mean you need yeses. Mm. And that's the problem with so many scripts that I see is, well, do you like water? Well, yeah. Do you like clean water? <laughs> yeah. Well, here, here's our solution for clean water. We, we put in a $5,000 filtration system and a da, da, da. No, like just because they agree doesn't mean that they're moving forward. And the more well, you ask those... acceptance is different. Yeah, but so, I, uh, I, I want to make sure that we differentiate those because so many people think they're brilliant like well just keep getting them the saying yes and that'll get them to say the big yes no it is really the acceptance it's not the yes and again if you don't have acceptance you do not yes. have a contract 100 percent offer and acceptance so again i think one of the really interesting skills that the last 20 years has helped me to develop is this ability to very slowly and patiently co-build the solution and working backwards from the outcome. And this has been uh, something that, again, when I was trying to be extroverted, I would try and get to the close as quickly as possible. Now, 
we close at the beginning by agreeing what they want to accomplish. And the agreement is we will work towards that outcome. And if we achieve that outcome, then there is the consequences of that are either they buy or there is a clearly defined next step. 100%. And what I'm always looking for is mutual agreement, mutual acceptance, mutual understanding, mutual comfort, and mutual commitment. Yes. And you only get that if you understand the problem to their satisfaction. Yes. Well, and it's about searching for those win-win relationships and so much classic sales training and that that extroverted, high-pressure, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross bullshit has to do with win-lose relationships. It's like dominating your client, control your customer, all of those phrases that just don't work anymore because nobody wants to be controlled. Nobody wants to be closed. The other oxymoron is uh, the idea that anyone is motivated by making shareholders richer. I think that's where me and you connected the very first time. Like once you said, like we had the discovery call the first time and you, you said the three magic words, Milton fucking Freeman. Like (laughs) once you said that, I'm like, okay, we're, we align. (laughs) So on that note, Red, how can people get hold of you? Find me on LinkedIn, find me on pretty much every platform, brokensalespeople.com, broken salespeople on TikTok. Wherever you're comfortable, I'm probably there too. (laughs) Excellent. And if you had one bit of advice to your idiot 23-year-old self, what would it be? The first thing is you are an idiot. And actually telling myself that I'm not as smart as I thought I was force myself to actually get back into reading. But when that did, was probably when you realize it was kind of the only way I could explain it is you know when you're like 13, 14 or so and you realize that your parents are human beings. Yeah. Once you have that revelation, I had that revelation with about my sales managers. Right. And realized that they didn't know everything. They're humans. They're they're going off of their best guesses. And it wasn't until probably 26 or 27 that I really started to say like, no, I need to read and learn this and rebuild this myself. That's where the issue was, is I was too trusting of people in authority that they earned that authority. Yeah, interesting. Okay, that's the subject for another conversation. Absolutely. And the punk rocker in me is like upset that that's even a phrase. Like I've always been punk rock, but then I just never carried it over to people in my workplace. (laughs) Excellent. Red Staffstrom, thank you. Thank you so much, Marcus. So this is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this useful and insightful, then please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Tag someone who might benefit particularly if you know someone who is an introvert and they may be struggling with their selling, get them to to contact Red. And if you want to contact me, Marcus at laughs-last.com. And I'm looking for a couple of very curious, very driven, competitive, but not arsehole salespeople. If you're interested, it's a UK-based role, hybrid, wherever you like, But the objective is to bring in three and a half million pounds of new business in enterprise. And we're working on ways that you're going to spend next to no time dialing for dollars. I'm trying to work out how you can get in front of the customer 40 to 60% of your working day. But I need your help. Give me a call. Bye. Happy selling.